Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a new monitor that Alienware has released, and it's the very first company to bring this technology to the market. It's awesome. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss the Panasonic Lumix GH6. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? Technically, let's say, since I'm not really the hardware person, it's okay that I don't have much to talk about, and that means nothing. However... I did have a conversation with someone who is getting rid of a piece of hardware that I wanted to get because of this whole hardware addicts thing. And also, more specifically, because of Jill on Destination Linux with the Jill's Treasure Hunt, looking at retro tech. I'm going to be getting, wait for it, a gem of computing. A thing that is so sought after. A zip drive. I'm going to get a zip drive. (laughs) Why a zip drive out of curiosity? (laughs) Well, it, someone in my uh, local Linux user group said that they were going to be uh, recycling it. And they said, it's time to recycle. And then they showed a photo of it. And I was like, is that a zip drive? And they said, yes. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I'll take it because, you know, that's better than recycling. That's giving it to someone who wants it. Why do I want it? That I haven't decided yet. But I do want it. Uh, I haven't figured it out why that the somehow I've got an infection of wanting some kind of hardware, which I have no really real ability to use. But I think that shows a testament that I might be growing at, away from the Padawan. Era. Oh, look, Wendy, our little boy is growing up. So precious. Now, no promises to anyone. <laughs> it's just a might be. Well, I think some cool things you could do with the zip drive. Number one is you could back up some of your artwork that you have, although you're going to run out of room pretty quick. Almost instantly. (laughs) Some important pieces of Michael art that you could put on there to store away for a long time. Also, Hmm. you could do your passwords. So this would be one of those things we talked about on Destination Linux where Jill uses floppy disks to back up her passwords. No hacker under 40 is going to know what to do with that thing. So if you're using a zip drive, I think you got the same thing. You could do a nice export of all your passwords in case something were to happen. And you would have them all there on a nice zip disk that you could lock away somewhere. Or other personal files you could scan into it that, you know, aren't super big. So I think you could have some fun with that. And it's one of those technologies that since so many people haven't seen it, it's kind of security by obscurity in a way. That's interesting. I don't know if I'd be doing that. I I might play with it just to, you know, as like... You will do it. I, I like the idea of doing the art stuff because there are things that I've had for a long time that I need. I want to keep. So I have this uh, philosophy of keeping everything that I make when it comes to uh, even video and stuff. If I have made something and I, and I don't have access to it, it kind of bothers me. So I have uh, files and designs or logos and graphics or whatever uh, going back to my beginning of becoming a designer like 20 years ago. So uh, they would be kind of cool to put my 20-year-old information, 20-year-old art on more than 20-year-old hardware. That'd be, that'd be kind of fun, I guess. That's kind of a nostalgia thing. 
Yeah. I keep my stuff out of, not necessity, I don't really need hardly anything that I have, but sometimes it has happened where a client from like 10 years ago will come to me and said, hey, by chance, do you happen to, well, yes, I do. I do have this information. Let me break out my zip drive. <laughs> exactly. Now I can say that. So that's worth yeah. it. I think that's almost a creator thing too, because I know I can't throw anything out either. It doesn't matter. Like I've done it. I've put all the work into it. Why would I want to erase this file ever? R- right. So they hang exactly. around. Well, I think there's an ASMR pleasure to the sound of the zip drive as well that you're going to enjoy. So that alone, I think is worth it just to run it and close your eyes and relax to the sound of it writing to that drive. It's truly, you're going to love it. Trust me on this. I'm telling you, it's a cool sound. <laughs> that that sound, that seems so ridiculous that now I have to get this just to listen to it. To yes. Yes. True. And maybe you could do an audio recording and you know, ASMR video for all of us on your yeah, channel. Yeah, of course. We'll put, we'll put it in the we'll put it in one of the future episodes of the show. There you go. That'll Perfect. be the ending is just the sound of that. So, Wendy, what have you been up to? Well, we have that VR headset up and running. I talk all about it on the last episode, or I guess the very first episode of Linux Out Loud. So, if you want to hear what all I went through to get that set up, then you can go check that out there. But in short, it is now running on my main system, and fans are really spinning up. I built this system now almost two years ago. And while I've done some general cleaning on it, I haven't done a really good deep cleaning. I've talked about it before that there's a lot of dust in the part of country where I'm living and it doesn't matter what you do, you just can't keep the dust away. And I wanted to do some different fan configurations. So this last weekend, I disconnected everything from my main system, my desktop system, took it out and pulled everything out. And I mean absolutely everything. Everything came off of this. The motherboard came out. The CPU cooler came off. The fans came off the CPU cooler. It was completely and totally dismantled. Wiped down. Got as much dust off of all of the bits and pieces that I possibly could. And then it actually took me quite a while to get done because I really, really wanted to play with how the airflow was working inside the case. I still have an RX 580 in this system. And it was running the games pretty well, even these VR games where it's displaying not only on the headset, but on my main monitor. But my fans were spinning up pretty high, running pretty loud. I want to see how could I not only keep my graphics card running cooler for it to be running as efficiently as possible, but to have the best airflow running through the system. So in this case, it's absolutely massive. It's the Thermaltake X71. So it's a very big case. You have lots of flexibility in it. I have two 200 millimeter fans on top and three 140s across the front. And so the biggest change that I made was in those two 200 millimeter fans on top. So both of them, all of them were intakes. Positive pressure definitely going on because of the dust. I don't want it sucking dirt in and dust in. I want it having positive pressure and getting as much of that dirt and dust naturally out of it as I can. So now those three front fans are still intakes. The front 200 millimeter is still an intake, but that back 200 millimeter is now an out. 
and I added another 140 on the back as an outtake. And I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do that. I hadn't done that before just because the massive CPU cooler that I have on there, the fans are already pretty close to the back. And I was just worried that it was going to be too much fan in one place. But since I had changed that setup and I'm doing that with the fans, they're all running for the most part a lot quieter. I ran the fan calibration after I got it all put back together. And it actually wasn't turning on the fans on my GPU until it was running a lot warmer. And even with the fans that I had going in there using two systems, the CPU, the GPU was only running about 110 warmer than I wanted it to be. But that was without the fans running on the CPU cooler. So it definitely made a positive difference to the airflow of the case and the overall temperatures going on inside of it. And I guarantee getting rid of all the dust helped too. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a major overhaul and a lot of work to do, but it's something that's definitely worthwhile. I recommend for people who don't want to figure out the mathematics of creating the right pressure inside their case of just taking like a me. laser thermometer and moving your fans around and then using that to gauge whether you're getting the positive effects and things that you want out of it. Of course, you can mess with fan curves and software and stuff like that as well to play with those different settings to see what's the right performance and temperatures through software of your CPU and GPU. Also on the 580, you're starting to get to the age where you could consider actually tearing it down and redoing thermal paste on it. I think those were released around 2016-ish. This one was released April 2017. I bought it 2018. So yeah, I've had it for a few years. It's definitely time. I thought about tearing it down. I had so much going on on that Saturday that I was tearing it down. I'm like, oh, I think I'll wait. But I think it'd be really, really good for it to do a full tear down, reapply thermal paste and all of that good stuff to it as well. How do you like virtual reality? I really haven't got to use it a whole lot um, just because my eyes are so sensitive that it didn't take long before I was feeling a lot of eye strain and pressure. But the rest of the family is actually really, really loving it. My oldest daughter is playing a lot of Five Nights at Freddy's Help Wanted. We got that running. This is all running on Linux. So it's running on my main system. Her laptop couldn't run it. More on that on Linux Out Loud. But my husband has been, Magneto has been one of the people who loves it even more than the kids do. He's been playing a game called Wingman. And so you can't use the VR controls. It's still using a game, game controller. But so he's got the VR headset on. You start it in VR mode. And then as you're flying, you can look around. You can look over the side of your airplane and all kinds of things. It's really crazy, really cool. It's not a technology that I thought we'd have in the house or that everybody would enjoy. But it is so interesting to put it on every once in a while. Like the game my daughter's playing, put it on. And you're like, holy cow, I actually feel like I'm in a room There's a game my son has been playing a lot of, and I can't stand the mechanics of moving because you glide and it didn't take very long before I was so dizzy. And I'm like, yeah, this this doesn't work for me. But the family's enjoying it. It's actually really cool technology. That's very awesome. So this weekend, my son had a game truck come for a birthday party. And a game truck is essentially, those who don't know, like a trailer that's decked out that you can rent that goes in front of your house and inside it creates a land party like environment with a bunch of PlayStation fives and Xboxes and everything else. All the friends go into the little truck 
and they can play any game they want already networked together. It's a pretty cool concept. Lots of music and lights and 3D stereo and all that. Well, they had the Facebook Oculus. Is it called the Oculus for Facebook? I think that's what it's called. Yes, yep. Oculus. They had that in there. Now, I would never use this typically because I'll never have a Facebook account and I can't stand Facebook. But since it's there and it was on their account, they were all talking about this roller coaster game that was just blowing them away. So I go and I put this device on and I've got, they told me to stand up and the roller coaster starts going up and then it starts falling down and then it starts doing its curves and loops and things. But what was weird for me was that even though it was cartoony inside the game, it was clear enough that I actually felt like I was moving with the roller coaster. So I was tripping, even though nothing was happening on the outside of me. Like I was losing balance. <laughs> yep. Despite the fact that <laughs> I'm just in a virtual world with my eyes. And that was a very weird experience and pretty awesome with VR. Exactly. My husband had me put on the headset while he was flying and he's like, hey, look over the edge. And so he's moving all around and doing circles on it. I was really cool. It was cool to see the water and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's not real. Like visually, you know, it's not real. But because those visual cues are coming in from movement, it feels like you're actually moving along with it. And he went to go do a loop-de-loop -loop and I'm like, ah, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I have never experienced VR myself, but I've seen a lot of people talk about how it kind of sucks you in and tricks your brain into thinking that it's a part of it. Even though it knows that it's not a part of it, it, it still feels like it is. And there's a bunch of videos of people like, for some reason, dive forward because it the game makes them think that they can do it. It's and then they just weird. like yeah. slam into the wall or stuff like that. Like, it, it, I don't know. I don't know if I would be saying like, hey, you need to stand up for this. Nope. No, I don't. There you go. So, Ryan, I couldn't stand for that, but have you been able to find anything that you could stand up on your end for hardware-wise? Oh, come on, Michael. Really? <laughs> that, that was, was so such a horrible so, transition. so bad. It was so bad it was good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, wow. I, I'm kind of okay with it just because of how bad it was. I'm kind of <laughs> sorry that I didn't get the mute undone in time. <laughs> You're welcome. Me too, Wendy. Me too. <laughs> I, I was I was a little bit embarrassed by it and also proud of it at the same time. <laughs> so I got my hands on a new laptop. This is another HP because, you know, I love HP. I love their supply chain and some of the work that they're doing uh, from that aspect. So I picked up a HP Spectre X360 2-in-1, but this is a 13-inch model. So much smaller version than the other HP Spectres I've reviewed on my channel uh, because I was looking for something more portable to go on trips and things with. It has a 4K OLED, which we're going to talk about in this episode, touchscreen Intel Core i5 inside of it. So this is the new 11th Gen Evo Intel. It's got 8 gigabytes of memory, 512 gigabyte SSD as well with this and it has a beautiful beautiful nightfall black color to it with that kind of gold trim that goes around it which is well known with the specter absolutely gorgeous machine and the screen the oled screen is just so bright and beautiful and for those who and they would be correct talk about apples having just a fantastic screen i actually did a video on my channel showing the apple screen the retina with the new m1 next to the HP Dragonfly Elite. 
And you could see right away the Dragonfly Elite kind of blows the retina out of the water. Like it's not really a competition if you've seen the video. This is actually more pretty than the Dragonfly Elite with the OLED screen. And it's just absolutely gorgeous and the colors are amazing on it. So I'm gonna probably be doing another video which will have the HP Dragonfly Elite, the new Retina M1, and the HP Spectre, so you can kind of see the difference in technology between these different screens. But I love seeing PCs finally having screens that are more than 1920 by 1080. <laughs> and uh, anytime I can get my hands on one of those, it's, it's a real treat and really shows that PC manufacturers are capable of making really good screens and they need to stop putting 720s and 1920 by 1080s in their lineup because it's embarrassing next to a Mac, whereas these machines blow them out of the water. I'm sure you'll go over this when you do a full review of this laptop, but that is a really nice screen in it. What is battery life looking like with that 4K OLED screen? I haven't tested the full battery life of this machine yet. It's kind of funny because I, I wiped Windows off and put Linux on it, and then I unplugged it to see what the battery would be for it. And for whatever reason, it said like 72 days. So I'm pretty sure that's inaccurate. <laughs> uh, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that's inaccurate. So I think Probably I'm gonna have wrong. to do yep. uh, some more testing with it manually to see how many hours I can get out of it. But so far, you know, unplugging it and doing some work for a few hours in here, it's been able to do fine, but I haven't really put it through its paces yet to see if it can hold up next to that M1, which I don't think anything truly can. This is an Intel after all as well, 11th gen. So I think it's gonna be pretty power hungry. We'll see what it can what it can pull off. Maybe six to eight hours, hopefully. I'm curious if you feel like the the 13 inch is a, a, a right the right size for you because I've always leaned towards the 15 inch or the 17 inch. I mean, actually, once I got to the 15 inch, I think that's like a sweet spot for me. Is the 13 inch large enough for me? It's perfect, but I'm not an artist. I don't do the art stuff like you and Wendy do. So mine's mostly text or video and things like that. And I love it for its compact size for when I'm traveling or taking it with me somewhere. Whereas a 15 and 17 generally tend to be a little, 17 definitely tends to be way too much to carry around. It's just too big to lug mm -hmm. around and quickly flip open and things. So personally, I actually prefer most of my laptops be in the 13 inch range, but I could understand why someone like you with your work style would not appreciate 13 inch because you're working with a lot more fine detail and art and things like that, which isn't really an issue for me, as you know. That's very true. But the the 4K OLED kind of thing makes me kind of, makes me curious about the quality of that screen because maybe that would be more than enough because I could just zoom in and still have like very crisp things. So yeah. as long as I could zoom in, that would be fine, which, you know, all graphics applications do that. So I'm curious. Uh, I, I need to come over and try your laptop. That, I don't want to. You do. I've got myself, a bunch of new laptops since the last time you came over. So you're going to have to come over and try them all and see if you can find a new one. It's like going to Best Buy coming to my house now. Yeah. And also, I assume you're going to make me do the VR stuff and vomit somewhere. That's going to be fun. Of course. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Even doing audio editing type stuff, I prefer the larger screen. My main screen is 32 inches. And just being able to see all of the tracks in this much larger size works better for me. So I don't think that anything where you're, I'm looking at smaller detail, that size would work. But especially with the touchscreen and if you could have the graphics pen with it, 
that might be a really cool way to do some different graphics mm-hmm. work. Yeah, and I think what Michael said would be interesting for you too as well, Wendy, because I do most of my audio editing on my laptops, which almost all of them are 13-inch. Uh, and, and of course, I have my giant 4K BenQ monitors as well, but I actually prefer uh, the mobile side doing the audio when I'm downstairs or other things doing the editing for it. And because of the zoom-in capability and the crispness of the screen, I really, I don't see an issue with it. I enjoy it. But, you know, if you're used to a certain size, then it may become an issue. But again, at 4K OLED, it may change your mind on just how clear that is. Too bad I'm so far away and can't come to your in-home Best Buy. (laughs) We're going to do like an all-inclusive trip one day, right? Where we get all of the creators together. Imagine the chaos. That would be awesome. It would be a blast. You know what would also be a blast? Checking out DigitalOcean because there's so much awesome stuff you can get with DigitalOcean. This episode of Hard Radix is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be... Let's say complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure, it doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. They have predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. You get support at every stage of growth from teams from one to teams of thousand. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of Hardware Addicts and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, in fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving away $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux 2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So as you know, in our core story this week, we want to talk about Alienware's new monitor, their first to market with it. But before we do that, we have to talk about a couple of terms that in our monitor episode, which was very popular, people really love that because monitors can be so confusing. We briefly mentioned a couple of technologies like Quantum Dot and OLED, but we didn't deep dive those because you weren't seeing them in a ton of range of computer monitors at that point. However, now that Alienware's got this new monitor coming out and more manufacturers are dropping OLED, it's time to kind of dig into these a little bit. We're going to start with Quantum Dot here. And the first thing to mention is this isn't really a new technology. It was invented at Bell Labs like everything else seems to be. Like, where's Bell Labs again? Is it still around? It was back in 1982, this was created. Bell Labs created like everything. I'm pretty sure Bell Labs was a part of AT&T and is no longer in existence. Yeah, it, it's kind of sad because they were doing some amazing stuff back in the day. It's just constantly you hear new technologies coming from, from Bell Labs. But anyways, they created this back in 1982. Uh, it was very difficult to produce. It created some unique benefits to your traditional LCD panels. But of course, it just really has started to come into popularity now today. So even though you're going to hear it as kind of a new term, this technology has been around for a while, but now it's easier to produce. And so you're going to see it used more often. QLED or quantum LED or the quantum dot technology is a type of LED backlit LCD. These quantum dots are human made nanoparticles, which can range in size from just one to 10 nanometers. Now we talk about all the time, like Samsung releasing five nanometers or 
you have AMD at seven nanometers and these quantum dots can range between one and 10 nanometers. And I know Michael loves this when I talk about nanometers and like the size of viruses and stuff. So this time, instead of a virus, we could talk about a strand of human DNA, which is 2.5 nanometers in diameter. So strand of human DNA, 2.5 nanometers thick. But this stuff, these nanoparticles can be as little as one nanometer thick. Okay. I sort of can comprehend that because I mean, I've never seen a strand of DNA necessarily. So, <laughs> Well, but why not? That, that is better than referencing viruses. <laughs> How about a sheet of paper? Have you ever seen a sheet of paper? I have seen a sheet of paper. Okay, well, okay. good. Thickness of a sheet of paper. Yep, got okay. it. Okay, sheet of paper, 100,000 nanometers thick. Oh, okay. So, yeah, very, very tiny. <laughs> yes, very small. There you go. A traditional LCD produces color by filtering the light that passes through them. Quantum dots, though, are light-emitting nanocrystals. They work by absorbing one wavelength of light and outputting a different wavelength of color of light. This conversion depends on the physical size of the dots. That's why you have that range. Smaller dots are more blue, while larger dots are more red. And it also produces colors in the infrared range. But what does that actually get you when you're looking at one of these monitors? It means that quantum dots can increase the color gamut on an LCD display by up to 50%. So when we talked about the importance of color reproduction and things, quantum dot does a really amazing job upping the color gamut on an LCD screen. This is because the typical blue LED light is shown through a layer of quantum dots. The crystals break down that light and produce richer white light that contains all of the colors of the spectrum. So if you want saturated, vivid, eye-popping, deep colors, quantum dot technology can deliver on that. To introduce them into current panels, basically they're just putting another layer of film now in between, and that's it. You've got your quantum dot layer there. Now, the other technology we need to talk about before we get into Alienware's new monitor is OLED. OLED, or organic light-emitting diode, use a carbon-based film between two conductors that emits its own light when an electric current is passed through it. In contrast to OLED, the quantum dots we were talking about contained in the film, and the light hits them, and it's provided by an LED backlight, like the monitor that you're probably using right now, but OLED is different because it doesn't use LED backlight to produce light. Instead, light is produced by millions of individual OLED subpixels, and OLED is known for its illumination and its ultra deep blacks. If you've ever gone and looked at an OLED television or an OLED monitor, you'll see that the quality of the blacks and darks that it can bring out is just absolutely breathtaking. Have either of you checked out an OLED screen before, either on a TV or a monitor? Unfortunately, I have not. I have seen them in the stores. They are absolutely gorgeous, especially when they're doing those mountain scenes or different environment type scenes that they're showing, trying to get you to buy these different panels. They are absolutely gorgeous with that variation in color and the blacks and the depth that it can add to the picture that itself. Very pretty. So that I'm not a loser, I'm going to go to uh, Best Buy tomorrow and check out an OLED. Thank awesome. you. Jeez, will you please stop being a loser? <laughs> no, uh, you know, both of these technologies have their advantages and disadvantages. OLED isn't perfect. It's got some issues. Quantum Dot isn't perfect. It's got some issues. So you may be like, well, which one do I get? And Alienware was like, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because we're going to take both of those technologies and we're going to put them together. It's kind of like the girl in the taco commercial where they're like, do we want soft tacos or hard shell tacos? And she was like, why not both? 
Anybody remember that? And then they raise her up and they and they're like, yes, celebrate yeah. the best decision ever. <laughs> exactly. And Alienware did that. They're like the taco girl. They brought the two technologies together in one screen. So the AW3423DW, it's a quantum dot OLED screen or quantum dot OLED combining both of these technologies into one beautiful monitor. So currently OLED technology by itself delivers those beautiful blacks, amazing illumination, better than any other technology, but it struggles in brightness and color ranges in some cases. You know, quantum dots on the other hand can drive powerful brightness and realistic colors, but you're gonna get both of these. And this is the result of that. The new monitor has 175 Hertz refresh rate on an ultra wide 3440 by 1400 resolution with an 1800R curve on it. Now, 1800R, if you wanna know about curvature, because we didn't cover that in the monitor series either, 4000R is just above flat, so just slightly, slightly curved. 3000R, a little more curved. 1800R, more curved. 1000R is where it's like really curved towards you. So 1800R is not as extreme as the 1000, which is a very extreme curve, but it's just slightly curved in towards you. But that's not what's super impressive here. How about the fact that it has a blazing 0.1 millisecond response time? Wait, most of the time you see these things saying, oh, it's the best you could possibly get. It's one millisecond. Did you say 0.1? It's right. 0.1. Not one, not five, but 0.1 milliseconds. And you're going to have huh. the purest blacks on this. It's got 99.3% DCI-P3, 149% sRGB, and VESA Display HDR400 certification as well in this. This is one brilliant picture. This does sound pretty good, but also like the, the DCI-P3 is one of the those standards that doesn't get, you know, you don't ever get really super high. And so that's really impressive that it's that high. Although, last time we talked about it, I'm pretty sure we were talking about how the sRGB going over 100 seems like pretending that it's better than it is. So how did this, like, so obviously this is good because of the DCI-P3, but how does it make sense for this one to also be over 100? It's two different ways to basically say the exact same thing. Because DCI-P3 is a much wider, much larger color gamut than sRGB. So it's saying, hey, we don't have all of DICP3, most of it, but not all of it. And most people think in the realm of sRGB. And so they're saying we have all of that plus way more, some way that they might be able to understand. So it's basically two different numbers where this monitor covers color. I am glad you explained this because, yeah, this, this is so con confusing. So I've seen 145% RSRGB on other monitors, and they were clearly bad monitors. So uh, like just going by that reference, it wouldn't have been very clear. So thanks for clearing that up. You're welcome. All right, so if that's not enough for you to want to pick one of these up, how about the fact that it has a million to one contrast ratio, 178 degrees by 178 degree viewing angle, and full support, of course, because the HDR with the 10-bit color support. Now do you want one, Michael? I do and I don't. You want it. Say you want it. I do. I, okay, I go ahead. <laughs> okay. I do and I don't because I think that ultra-wide is great for some people and not great for others. So if they had a version that was not an ultra-wide or 
they didn't have a curved version because I don't really like the curved monitors. Maybe it was just the one ultra wide curve that I had that I didn't like. I don't know exactly, but I wasn't a big fan of that experience. And it, I, I, I guess I, I think the it would be a different experience overall because of the quality of the picture. But I still think like productivity wise, that type of monitor isn't for me. So if they made a version that was not ultra wide and was not curved, I would be without a doubt uh, putting it in the cart right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not a huge fan of the curved monitors as well. The MSI one I have, I think, is an 1800R, which, again, the 1000 is the most curved. It's, it'd be very aggressive curvature on it. It's weird how the numbers go down to mean it's more curved. I, I had no idea. I got a 1500 curve, and I thought I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> So it's probably not the best way of trying things. Uh, but in, and in some case, cases, it's kind of good for the show because I get to try stuff that I normally wouldn't have you know, even thought about. So there's that. But the, I think that the, I guess a slight curve might be okay. But again, I don't, I don't really like curves. But at the same time, if it's slightly curved, which now I understand higher number means less curve, is there a, such a thing as a curved monitor that's barely curved that you can't even notice it? Yeah, there are curves like 4000R and 3000R that are barely curved compared to a flat screen. I've not actually seen one or used one, but they technically exist. The R stands for radius, by the way, on these. Um, and it's kind ah, of the full radius yeah. to complete a circle is how it's calculated. So if you were to keep curving it, how long would you have to go? Um, to create that full circle. Oh, that makes yeah. sense yeah. then. Okay, I get so it. So it's uh, it, it's interesting because I'm not a huge fan. I, I like the flat screen myself, and I agree that would be something that I would like to see them change if I was going to buy it. But what I love seeing is that these two technologies being put into one monitor so that you don't have to choose between them because both of them have their unique advantages That's and disadvantages. Cool. And, but with this, you're not going to have to deal with any of that because you're getting the most brilliant picture. And those who have seen this hands-on because it was at a show have said it was absolutely the most brilliant picture they've ever seen. Not in just a monitor, but TVs and everything, period. So I'm really excited to see wow. this in person. And it makes me really want to to get one of these and see what someone like yourself or Wendy could do with it. Because for me, it would be kind of a waste to have all this spec minus the gaming part, but to see what you guys could do in the color world for pictures or art with a monitor like this would be really interesting to see your impressions of it. I would love to get my hands on it. I don't mind a slightly curved monitor. My main monitor has a slightly curved. I, it's been a long time since I've actually looked at the spec, so I'd have to look it up again to see what that curve radius is, but it's absolutely one of my favorite monitors that I've ever had, but it doesn't cause distortion. And I'm sure that was part of some of Michael's problem. He had more of a curve on his monitor and that can definitely give you some distortion in the images that you're looking at. Whereas oh, mine, yeah. there is a curve to it, but there isn't any distortion. Like all of the words and text looks really nice and crisp. Images and stuff look really nice on it. So definitely wouldn't want to go to the range of the super curves, but a curve like this, I think would still be really fantastic to view on, especially with that wider angle. My current monitor is 32 inches. So this is just slightly bigger than that. That extra 
room on the screen would be nice with that curve to it, at least in my experience. Well, that's an interesting point because I didn't—I forgot about the whole distortion aspect. That's really the main reason I don't like Curve because I don't really like the the feel of Curve either. But the distortion just bothered me because as a designer and I create logos and graphics and stuff like that, if it's slight, if it's messed up, messing up my art, then it's completely worthless to me. So that is definitely a big part of it that why I didn't like the Curve stuff. But uh, a slight curve that you know now that I understand how it works might be better so i would look forward to trying out like something like maybe if there's a a display unit or something or at a conference or whatever that just shows these kind of things i would like to see that kind of thing but we have to talk about something this thing is new technology and with new technology these always cost an insane amount of money so give us the price ryan you know let, let let's just put it out there and say you have no chance of getting it obviously so what is the price for this Q QD OL OLED monster. We don't have the final price, but the predicted price or the insiders are dropping a price that if this is reality blows my mind for this kind of technology and the specs of this monitor. Typically for this type level of monitor, new technology like this with the professional color gamut, I would be thinking somewhere in the two to 3000 but the analysts and insiders are saying they think this is going to drop for around twelve to $1,400, which would be quite... I know that's a lot for a lot of wow. people, but with these specs, that's quite a good price, actually, for this. Yeah. I mean, look, comparing it to, like, the Samsung or the LG monitor, or monitors that are, you know, just kind of the go-to that are for the big ultra-wide type of curved things, those are all cost around that price. So if they are comparable to those that with the, this kind of technology, it's that's definitely a good price, even though it's still a lot for most people looking at it going, you know, $1,300, $1,400 for a monitor. Like, really? I agree with you, by the way. But at the same time, in terms of comparison to the, the industry of monitors, it seems that's a very reasonable price. And I know this stuff, not because I'm a hardware addict, but I am in the sense of like re massively an addict to research so when I started the process of getting all these different monitors, I looked at so many different options to the point where I was starting to go like crazy of how many different like op like possibilities I had and the different terminology. And uh, thankfully, we did that episode about monitors and it was a lot easier at that point. But so for those who haven't checked that out, go check out that episode because that's very useful for anybody who is looking for a monitor. You get so much positive but, feedback from that episode. You know. And you also did some additional research while we were talking, which I appreciate, Michael, to say Bell Labs actually still very much exists. It's actually owned by Nokia now, which I wasn't aware of. Yes, it does. And that's interesting yeah. because they are attributed to some of the major technologies of the world, you know, from... Tons of stuff. Radio astronomy, transistor, the laser, charge coupled devices, information theory, Unix. Fiber optic cables. I mean, everything. They have done incredible work. Yeah, there's like, I was going through the list of like, I was trying to figure out is Bailout 66, right? So I found out that Nokia got it and everything. And then I started going through it. They have like multiple Nobel Prizes. They even won Emmy Awards and stuff. Like, it's kind of like, it's impressive. Like, the. Like we already know that they've made a they've done a lot of stuff in the past, 
but they continue to make great stuff going forward. And it's so surprising that, you know, you hardly ever hear anything about them anymore. As far as their credentials, then it's incredible. But if you're looking at like what they've done from the most recent years, there's not a lot there compared to say the two thousands or, you know, 1980s and things where they were just revolutionizing everything. So it would be cool. I mean, I'm not saying they're not working on amazing things. It's just when you look at the site, it's kind of 2020 has one sentence of what they accomplished, whereas every other year has like 10 things. So I'll grant it 2020 was a crap year for all of us, but I'd like to see some more stuff coming out of Bell Labs because they produce some pretty amazing things over there at that company. They're just doing it all on the down low right now. You'll see more for them later, I'm sure. Another really awesome company is Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store share and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash dealin to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator, Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash dealin to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to give them some appreciation and sign up for that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner. You've been teasing us a lot lately with new hardware tech and it looks like you have some here as well. Tell us about the Panasonic Lumix GH6. I do have some more tech. So last time in new tech, we were talking about a larger sensor form factor. This one, we're going Panasonic, which is a company that you really don't hear a lot about, one that we don't talk about much on this channel or on this show, but this is one of their more popular micro four thirds. Now, what is a micro four-thirds sensor? It is, in all reality, a lot smaller, a lot more compact than, say, your standard crop sensor, which is on a lot of the DSLRs that maybe people have picked up in the past, the consumer models, or some of the more professional models of camera that have a full-frame sensor that would be the same size as a 34-millimeter piece of film. Now, one of the best things about these micro four-thirds sensors is that because they are smaller, the whole body of the camera can be smaller, and it's kind of a popular model or camera size for people that are vacationing and out abroad. It fits nicely inside their camera bag. It's really easy to wear. And one of the other advantages of these micro four-thirds cameras, they're not necessarily looked at as professional cameras, so you can take them in places tourism-wise that maybe you can't take your regular DSLR. There are places that have rules against if you're a professional, you can't take your camera in. Now, not everybody with a DSLR, especially those that are listening to this show, are professional photographers. They just have a nice camera and want to take nice pictures that they can share and print and do all those things with. So that's where Micro Four Thirds kind of slips past some of them. 
Now, what's so great about this Micro Four Thirds? Well, it is an upgrade from one of their previous Lumix models. It has, of course, more megapixels. Now, we've talked about this before. Megapixels are different than everything. Megapixels. But your megapixels. Your standard megapixels for a Micro Four Thirds is 20. This has got 25.2, but... What is most important or I think better off with this sensor is that it has greater dynamic range. This is one of those photography terms we've talked about before, pop quiz. Can anybody tell me what that means? The range is more dynamic. Boom, did it. Nailed it. Yes. Kinda. It's the ratio between the largest <laughs> and smallest values, Michael. Come on. You looked no, it No, I, I didn't have time to. Don't what? <laughs> no, I never even. looked at no, I don't have a computer even in totally, front of me. I don't know what you're talking about. I gave you to. I gave oh my you goodness! Don't. Oh, that's shocking. <laughs> I gave you time. There's no video up. proof. Don't even pretend. You you got it on auto. Don't pretend. Did I get it right, Wendy? Yes, it is the value. You did. You got it right. Yes. You absolutely nailed it right. And it you, is you how absolutely did the best Wikipedia. You Shut could. your face, Michael. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> It is the value between your brightest brights and your darkest darks inside an image. So the more dynamic range you have, the more detail and variation that it can pick up as you're doing, say, sunsets, outdoor scenes. Even when you're dealing with people, there can be more detail in those bright areas and more detail in those dark areas, which is a really cool thing to be seeing coming to a Micro Four Thirds camera. It's a tiny sensor, and so the more technology that you can bring into it, like their new Venus engine processor, which takes the imaging processing, and we've talked about this before, it's actually sometimes more important than parts of the sensor itself because it gathers that raw data and processes it. So if you have a really good processor behind a sensor, it can kind of clean up some of the other noise that can come naturally from that sensor and really help get the best image. These processes are tuned specifically for the sensors that they're on. Now, because it has this better processor, it has 2D noise reduction. Now, this is mainly for images themselves. It'll help suppress chromatic noise. So that is noise inside the color ranges, but it also helps improve luminance noise. And that's in your brighter, darker values. You can get different noise depending on, hey, have I turned up my ISO a lot, making the sensor a lot more sensitive then that's when you'll get some noise, that luminance noise from your sensor because it's getting extra signals that it shouldn't be getting that's causing those spots. Now, the 3D noise is really cool for this. It focuses on video, so this camera is mainly made for stills, but it does have some really, really cool video processing. And on that side is this 3D noise reduction. So as you're panning with your camera, it's able to process that with the sensor and helps minimize the after images, helps you not have ghosting as you're going through and still having this really crisp, clear, colorful image without graininess in it. That means they can jack up the ISO. And that's really, really important if you're dealing with a lot of low light situations. You wanna be stable with your camera, and so being able to turn up the ISO 
or how sensitive that sensor is can really make a difference in different situations. And image stabilization has gotten better. Five-axis gyro sensor in the body of this camera. And it means that you have 7.5 stops of on-sensor stabilization. I know that's a whole lot of photography jargon that I just threw out there. So let me break it down to you this way. If you're holding your camera and it doesn't have any stabilization on it at all, your shutter speed can only drop down as low as the millimeters of your camera lens. So say I have a 50 millimeter camera lens, I can really only drop it down to about a 50th of a second in order to get a nice, clear, crisp, stable image. If I'm using a 300 millimeter lens, then that means I have to have a much slower shutter speed in order to get that image. Now, with this stabilization built in, you have a lot more leeway. It's compensating for the fact that you are moving around, which is really, really nice if you're taking this on a vacation. But I think my favorite part of this entire camera is the fact that it has active cooling. And because it has this active cooling, this fan that is built into the body of the camera, that is how you get this better sensor, how you get this really strong processor that is not only super speedy, but can clean up the noise on both images and video. We've talked about it in the past on other hardware things and keeping your electronics in a nice, comfortable working temperature is so incredibly important. And in order to advance the technology in these cameras and make them better, they're having to add things like active cooling to these camera bodies. Now, this isn't waterproof. You don't want to be taking it out in the rain. You don't have it out on the pool, but it does have some splash resistance. So a little bit of water isn't going to kill it. It does have some dust resistance, which of course is important with any fan, with any body that's got some sort of opening to it. Now, one of the craziest things is you can still use this for cold winter photography because you can have it out there at 14 degrees nice. Fahrenheit. Awesome, awesome. So one of the body. questions I have is a camera like this, number one, would this be useful for video blogging or would this not be a good camera for that? I say it would be absolutely great for that. It's still putting out a really nice picture with the additional technologies that they put in it. And the best part of it is if you're just doing a vlog because the camera body size is so much smaller than even a crop sensor or a full sensor. This is probably one of the handiest ones to throw on a gimbal and be able to take it with you as you're all over the world or visiting someplace. That's one of the advantages of this camera body. I definitely do that. And is this camera cost a patrillion dollars? Because most of these cameras seem to cost a patrillion dollars. Yes, confirmed. This one patrillion. is... It's not as expensive as some of the other models that we've talked about recently. It's supposed to release mid-March, so not too far from now, but it is going to take a chunk of change. Pricing-wise, we're looking somewhere between $2,200 and $2,800. It is not a cheap camera to get a hold of that, but part of that is the new technologies that is going into this camera body. As we see them grow and more generations come out, this is a price range that I expect to see coming down. So only half a patrillion. Yeah, half a patrillion dollars. Right. A patrillion apparently is 5400 bucks. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So $2,200 though in the professional realm isn't 
I mean, it's a lot of money for a everyday user, but as a professional, 2200 isn't out of sight for a camera like this. But is this a professional level camera? In some ways, I could definitely see it being used in different professional applications. Someone who is doing a lot of vlogging, I do think that this is a good camera for them. It does have rotation on the back. There are so many different video settings that is on this camera that I didn't even come close to touching just because we've had such great conversation on this show already. I don't want to bog us down with even more specifications. Well, I quickly want to do one because it says it can do up to like 5.8K at 30 frames per second. <laughs> yeah. All right, now I want it. Who needs that? Me. Well, now yeah, everybody me. needs it. I want it. <laughs> It does have some amazing video capabilities. And so if you need to get in and out with a small camera body size, this is a fantastic option. Or like I was saying, somebody who's doing some professional blogging or vlogging where they need a small camera as they're traveling the world, it needs to go with them on and off a plane. They need to keep what they have to pack with them in a carry-on or other smaller bags. This is a fantastic camera for that use. Yeah, and I've heard that Panasonic's have better battery life than a lot of your Sony mirrorless and stuff out there. At least that was the case with the GH5 because I remember looking at it, although it was a little bit out of my price range for what I was looking for. So, And then you got the active cooling on top of that. $2,200. What do you think, Michael? We could use these for recording DL episodes in 5K. I mean, how awesome would that be? I think I think that would be an interesting uh, use case for this particular piece of hardware because... What we do is attach it to a mount, never touch it again, set it yes. on auto, and then turn yes. it on. That would be a great use case for these kinds of Tax write-offs. Oh, wait. Didn't you already do that with your Sony? <laughs> hey, Wendy, I'll have you know that I <laughs> wait, what, my huh? Sony right now is... Uh, that's in automatic mode. Never mind. I changed out of automatic for the sake of being able to tell you I did that and then good, put it back Good, good, good. That's the safe place. <laughs> Michael, we still need to sit and have a conversation about how to tweak your camera so you can get the best color accuracy possible. We'll, yes, we'll do we that do. one of these days. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it because I do care about having it as as crisp as I can and also having the colors as accurate as I can. However, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't want to mess it up. So I would appreciate that. Well, you'll do it one of these days, but not on this episode because this is our 55th episode and it's a wrap, folks. Thank you for listening to the show oh. that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Destination Linux network. Head to destinationlinux.network. Check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no, Remember, such, there's thing as- no such thing as too much. <laughs> I was going to do it for you. You were taking too long. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another actively cooled quantum dot quality episode of Hardware Addicts.